Hello and welcome to That's Hockey Talk. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Hockey is coming back. We missed you last week. I apologize for that. I'm your host, Nick Morello, joined by my co-host, who was on paternity leave last week because we need the huge congrats to you, AQ, in the birth of your second daughter, Samurai. Congratulations. Samurai. Thank you so much. Yeah. Proud of you, man. Lot, lack of sleep to a, to a T right now. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's got her days and nights mixed up, so she's awake at night, sleep during the day. Not good. Ugh. Well, I mean, she's a probably on the Eastern Time Zone, you know. Yeah, like she's smart. She's daddy's heritage. She's got a little Pittsburgh in her. There this one go. got a little Pittsburgh in her. There you go. Uh, speaking of the Pittsburgh Penguins, sidelined a bunch of guys because of COVID nineteen concerns. Of course, the NHL put out a mandate now that uh, they are not able to say if a player has been diagnosed with COVID or not due to player safety. That was something the NHLPA was big about, and they wanted their privacy. So now they're just using terms like unable to practice or uh, unfit to play. So uh, luckily, it was not Sid. We saw some practice videos of him out there ripping up the ice. But nine guys sidelined out of training camp right now. That's uh, that's that's a lot. That's kind of concerning. Do you think this is a good idea to have the players in their home cities, in their own houses, not quarantining, going back and forth to the rink during training camp before they go into the bubble later this month? I, I mean, it's it's gotten to the point now where it's either you shut everything down or you have to carry on in somewhat normalcy. Right. So I think like the NHL is trying to take somewhat of a normalcy approach and like get these guys at least conducive to their own environment before they go there. Should they have probably just moved everybody to, to, you know, the hub cities and gone off from that. I mean, that's probably the smarter decision, but I think they wanted to get this phase out of the way where at least guys have the ability, everybody's got the ability of their own training facility with their own weight stuff, their own, you know, I mean, all that stuff. And um, there's going to be issues. There's and just like in golf, right. And that, you know, the PJ tour commissioner said, Hey, listen, this is something we're going to have to deal with. And there's going to be people that get it and there's going to be things. And you can't just sit here and every time somebody gets something, you just shut it down. Right. Obviously you have to be aware of how serious the situation is, but Try and do everything you can from a facility and a team standpoint to, um, you know, handle it the best way possible and st- keep the players and, and the staff and everybody in the in, that are, is invited right to as safe as possible. But as you see, there's going to be issues. The Penguins got nine right now. There's going to be other teams that get five or six, and there's going to and it's just going to keep steamrolling. And it's just how the teams are going to be able to handle that. Yeah, the Canadians had a handful of guys as well. It's it's uh, it's a double edged double edged sword, right? Because I thought maybe they were going to do like a pre-bubble bubble in their home cities where they would have the guys in maybe a hotel for two weeks during training camp where they were locked down in their own cities uh, and then ship them out to Toronto or Edmonton and have them locked down there in the official NHL bubble. But I guess they were trying to save these guys and keep them in the bubble in Toronto, Edmonton for as little time as possible. So this kind of allows them to do that. They still get to see their families while going to the rink, while trying to get back in shape. Uh, you just have to, the onus really here is on the players. They have to be smart enough to social distance and keep themselves out of trouble, stay out of the bars. Uh, you know, a lot of these cities are still locked down in certain aspects and certain areas anyways. But it's 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 troubling if they go come through all this way 
And it seems like they've been knocking it out of the park, setting the tone, being a real, almost a leader for once in the realm of sports where the NHL usually fucks things up. Here they are with a chance to be a trendsetter and get everything right and have them be the model. Uh, This is something that could derail them. But luckily, it seems like so far everything's been relatively in check. Like I said, Penguins are playing it safe. It wasn't nine guys that were uh, diagnosed or confirmed. It was nine people who were potentially exposed to a secondary source of someone who had it. So... uh, We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed that they can figure this out and get everyone up to the bubble safely later this month. I think they're all supposed to report by July 26th, uh, That which then leads into exhibition games, the 28th, the 29th, and 30th. Every team gets one exhibition game. And then we're rolling, baby. August 1st is the start time. They've released the times and some of the schedule of the teams will be playing. No broadcast information yet. Uh, but you can you can um, it's safe to assume it's going to be some combination of NHL Network, NBC, NBC Sports, uh, and that first day, man, we're we're rolling right into it. The Rangers and Hurricanes going at twelve noon. Then you got the Blackhawks and the Oilers at three. Four has the Florida Panthers and the Islanders. Then at eight in primetime, our Penguins taking on the Montreal Canadiens. Then ten thirty, you get Winnipeg at Calgary. So it's going to be like that starting that Saturday, August first, until. Damn near all the way until October. They said October 2nd, I think, is the date, that the last possible date that they're willing to give out the Stanley Cup. So we can expect this season to finish in early October so that they can get the following 21-22 season in, up in time and starting around December or January. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. I'm excited to see this because if you're a hockey fan, it is going to be non-stop action i mean it looks like there's going to be three games a day essentially At in least. a lot of these things i mean so, we're talking we're talking six uh, and you know they have they have the opportunity to kind of take a stranglehold really on primetime sports because you know soccer's come back and uh of course your afl's come back all you guys are big afl fans over right, there you said that like it was a shot that was uncalled for it's the afl baby what are we talking about gws giants this is a competitive league. They're yeah, about to do. They're about to do their football bonanza. Fucking eight straight days of Aussie rules football. The same time, it's gonna be awesome. And then the NBA's tipping off at the same time. So there's gonna be a lot to watch. And Pat mentioned on this show, it's probably gonna be record numbers. Like we're probably going to see numbers we've never seen before for the NHL, not just for the NHL, but for the NBA and all sports. But it can only be good news for the NHL uh, as long as they. And we had Eddie Owen. I wanted to ask him. I wanted to ask him this, but. We, we all know playoff hockey is next to none when it comes to competitiveness, toughness, speed of the game, intensity, right? You're watching playoff hockey, and it is just another level compared to the regular season. It's gonna It's got to be tough for these guys to jump right into that bubble, be thrown into this, get one exhibition game. Maybe teams get a couple play-in games, but to get right into that playoff mode. How hard would that be for you as an athlete? Like, you know, NFL, same thing. Like, the the postseason is another jump compared to the regular season, but you get 16 weeks to get acclimated and then prepare for that jump with no time really to get accustomed other than practice and a handful of exhibition games. Are they going to be able to fucking take it to the next level, get right in there, and start going at it? I think they're going to be able to, but this is this is my take, and, and I think – it's it's a take worth noting i think i saw something yesterday and it, it kind of listed in terms of experience in terms of youngest teams versus oldest teams i think if you look at that bottom number of teams that the older teams are i think washington has the oldest team i think pittsburgh boston yeah you got a lot of your bigger teams, teams for the most part yeah. are veteran 
laden teams, correct? You know, I think those teams are going to handle this much better than, say, a younger team. So I think those teams have an advantage going into this. I think those teams are more able and more apt to be able to handle adversity, more able to uh, handle situations like this and distractions. And then you got your crew of older guys, and most of those guys have won cups now at this stage in their career to be able to rein in the young guys, rein, rein them in, bring them together, and say, listen, like, even if they're not in shape right now, you got whatever it is, 15 days or whatever before the first exhibition, then we're rolling. It's like they're going to do whatever they can to get that entire team rocking and rolling better than, say, I don't know, a younger – I don't know. I'm just going to throw Edmonton out there. I feel sure. like they're a younger team. I could be wrong on that. Oh, but, relatively, yeah. I mean, the core is young. Normally, I'd agree with you, and I'd say you're 100% right. But I think it's going to be slightly different because some of those distractions and things that could bother some younger players aren't there, right? There's no crowd. The fans aren't going to play any impact whatsoever on the game. Uh, it's not like they're going to be going out or tempted to go out. Uh, they're going to be locked down in this hotel. And sure, they'll probably have some stuff to do like the NBA guys we've seen there. They're, uh, they're playing golf. They're going to the water park, things like that. But I don't think it's going to play that much of a difference because, like I said, this is so different from anything we've done. Sure, the veteran guys have seen it all in terms of your normal playoff situations. But this is far from your normal playoff situation, and I'd be very—I would not be very—I would not be shocked one bit if we see uh, a couple upsets in the first round. Because just who the hell knows what's going to happen? Who the hell knows how these guys are going to adapt? We've already seen a handful of guys opt out, uh, and no judgment to them. A couple of them have had family issues or health issues. Uh, I got the list here. We have uh, Carl Alsner from Montreal. Good news for us Penguins fans. Uh, Sven Bargy from Vancouver. Mike Green in Edmonton. That's a big loss for Edmonton. Mike Green up there in age, but I mean, that guy is a former 30-goal guy from the back end, and he can move the puck still as good as anyone in the league. Uh, Travis Hamannick in Calgary, pretty good two-way defenseman. Uh, Stephen Camp from Boston and Roman Polak in Dallas. And then uh, you have Max Domi, who from the Canadians has been granted uh, somewhat of an exception, seven to ten days to figure out if he's going to opt in or opt out. That would be a huge loss for the Canadians because he is one of their primary sources of offense. And then you have situations like the Capitals have where they have two players, Lars Eller and Carl Haglin, who are both expecting uh, children who, I mean, you just went through the situation. They're both expecting children to be born while they would be in the bubble. uh, And they have been told they would be able to leave, be there for the birth of their children and then come back. But they'd have to quarantine for at least uh, three days, I believe it was, and a handful of positive or a handful of negative tests, excuse me, uh, to get back in and start playing again. So you know, it's nice to see them trying to work through these issues with the players in the league, kind of giving somewhat forgiveness for relatable and reasonable situations. But there's a lot going on there, and there's still a lot of distractions, even though these guys are locked down in this in this little bubble in this little safe world. I find it funny all the exceptions that some of these sports leagues are trying to make, right? Like. Most CDC recommendations, most state recommendations are that if you're going to leave a whatever it is and you come back to that area, it's at least a 14-day quarantine. Yeah. I'd love to know who came up with it. Hey, they're good in three days. They're good. <laughs> hey, you go see this and then come back. And then if three days, you're good. Let's keep it moving. Like I, I love the fact of that. But um, just to hit another point on what I was saying earlier, I, I don't necessarily know if I was meaning – the veteran teams are going to be better at handling the bubble. The big thing that I was really meaning is 
young guys, when they get time off, don't necessarily know how to handle it well. Okay, yeah. And so when they've when you've had this quarantine, I know Mike Sullivan. I mean, obviously, we're both big Pittsburgh guys. We read all the Pittsburgh stuff more more than anything. I would imagine. He said that you know his group came back in as good a shape as he could have expected. Right. I would have to imagine younger teams. Some guys didn't come back in in that great in in, in as good a shape. Yeah, and that maybe was, a that couple was the pops. Maybe they had a couple pops with the boys. You know, maybe out there dancing a little bit, a little partying, a couple uh, a couple or long just days the at the fact pool. That, like most people don't have gyms either, and that's the other thing, and, and access to ice and all these other things. Whereas, like, I feel like some of these veteran guys have the ability or have the money or have whatever to be able to just kind of get that stuff at a whim, right? And some of these younger guys might just be like, ah, oh, like I'll just, I'll just play some spike ball in my backyard. I'll be good to go. That's like, true. A lot of these guys know, you know? living in uh, cities are on like entry level contracts, and they're just renting out apartments in these cities, and they're not, you know, ice is hard to come by as it is, let alone during a pandemic. So it's not like the NBA where you can, you could potentially go to a park and shoot. You could get into a gym maybe and shoot in a Y at an LA Fitness, something like that. At least get some shots up. Uh, other, you know, if you can't get on the rink, I mean, you're limited to pretty much shooting in a garage or a driveway or on the street even so exactly good point didn't think of that yeah um let's go through here too uh they agreed to the cba and there seemed to be no issues which was astounding to me for a league that's had three work stoppages in the past 20 years it was pretty insane and impressive that they were able to come to, uh, as Pierre McGuire said on Pat's radio show, uh, the spirit of cooperation between the league and the players was something we probably haven't seen before. So player safety obviously was a huge concern and very paramount. So they'll be testing every single day uh, in the bubble, which is good to see. But there are, there are also a few other things that were stuck into the CBA not virus related, but just stuff that's going to change the game for the next couple of years that I thought was uh, very interesting and a lot of concessions given to the players. Uh, one of them being the free agent frenzy interview period has been eliminated under the new CBA. So, you know, we used to have a couple of days where they could do interviews and teams would agree with players. Basically, it was like the NFL's tampering period where you could talk to teams, interview with them, come to terms on a contract, can't sign anything, but you could say you're not, you're technically not even allowed to talk terms, but teams were players were we knew they were and sure. you basically had those handshake agreements in place for when it opened up on noon and uh now that's done now now it's just going to be boom uh as soon as uh noon hits on free agency day teams are signing players i don't i don't know if i love this idea because i feel like that free agency period that interview period helped some teams do some homework and kind of got them out of trouble now it's going to be back to the crazy old crapshoot every you know just anything goes to me, interesting because I I do agree. I mean, I, I think it I think it's a good thing for sports when you have that period because even in our sport, you know, I mean, it, it, I think it's good. I mean, you're you're a free agent, you finally get your first chance to kind of decide where you want to go, right? Decide where you want to play, and you have these options, and you well, start it gives to you time out to think, right? Interviews or teams. So you don't have to decide on the spot because you may get three offers and you may have a team say to you, well, uh, you know, we need to know if you're going to take this or not because otherwise we're going to move on to someone else. Whereas that interview period, you at least had a, at least a night to sleep on it and think and consult with your family. You have to think, too, the teams are going to use that to their advantage. They're going to fly a guy in or whatever it may be, and, and they're going to be like, all right, here's the deal. We're going we're to do everything we can not to let this guy leave the building, right? Yeah. And you, you don't even know what's on the other side. You, don't, you could have better offers. You could have a better situation. You know, at the end of the day, it's like you sign the deal 10 minutes and then, okay, I don't want to do that. Now that goes away. Now you sign a lesser deal somewhere. And so it, it, I do think it did play to the player's advantage. So I think that's a, that is a loss on the players. I don't understand 
you know, but again, like we spoke last, the last time we spoke, it's like in negotiations, you have to give to get right. That's, that's how negotiations work. So obviously they felt that that wasn't as important for them to get something else in return. They had to have got something that they liked that they valued much more than that concession. Right. Yeah. It's just, uh, I, I wasn't crazy about that one, but again, you know, it's a compromise, right? Somebody wanted that and somebody didn't. So I don't know if it was the players who wanted that out. I can't see why they would want it out. I I would assume it would be a team thing, but I don't know. Uh, it was just odd to me. Another thing that was interesting was that the qualifying round game. So like Teams like the Penguins playing the Canadians playing the, the play-in qualifying round series, uh, those stats will count as part of the 2019-2020 Stanley Cup playoff statistics. So, you know, you could e- an easy way to pad your stats a little bit if you're going to make a deep run. Like, we assume teams like Pittsburgh are playing from that qualifying round in. You know, like it's potentially five extra games for the Crosbys, the Malkins, the Jake Gensels of the world to be able to uh, pad their stats a little bit. Uh, they did away with trade conditions that make it harder to resign a player after being traded to a new team. This one was very interesting to me, and I assume this was something the players wanted so that they could get more guys signed. So now let's say uh, you're playing for the Blackhawks, you get traded, and you're a potential free agent at the end of the year. So they trade you for a third-round pick, get a third-round pick in return to, let's say, the Oilers. And now if the Oilers go to resign you in the offseason – they would have to traditionally maybe possibly send a higher pick back to the Blackhawks in order to sign you. It's say, like, okay, here, you're running them, but if you sign them, we want a little bit more kick back to us. So maybe if you sign them, you send us a second round pick. That's gone. You're not allowed to do that anymore. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, it's huge for the players because, again, it makes it easier for teams to resign players without those complicated stipulations, and you, you know, you're just going to straight up, this is the compensation, no back-end deals, none of that waiting. It's definitely interesting. Um, yeah, it's a huge win for the players. I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's a situation here where you know teams didn't want to give up those picks, so like now, now, now it might screw that player out of getting whatever. And so now here we are, and makes it a lot easier for these players, and makes makes it easier for the whole league in general to kind of just do business whenever that happens. And I think uh, you know that's a huge that's a huge win for them. That's a huge concession for them, and. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and say the players won these negotiations, but I mean, just based on like, if you go down and hit like all the bullet points, it looks like they got more than the owners got in this That's, one. So uh, I mean, yep. kudos to them. We're going to keep it going here because there's more than, and, and these yeah. are definitely tilted towards the players. And I, I assume most of this was done with the intention of the owners and the league only having one goal. And that was to get the guys back on the ice, back on the which ice. is happening. But uh, this was a big deal for a while. Players age 35 and older can sign multi-year, de- multi-year deals, and there's no cap hit if they retire before the deal is up anymore. It used to be if you were 35 and older and you signed a two-year deal and you retired after the first year of the deal, the second year Count still against counted the against the cap, and teams were very hesitant to sign older players because a lot of teams who were pushed up against the cap would like to sign vets to help out. But you know that's limiting jobs because if you retire – you're, you're typically only getting one year because they don't want to give you that second year because if you retire, they're screwed. So I think this is a good move. I think it's a great move for the for the older players because, let's face it, it's, it has become a young man's game and a young man's league. Most of those guys, the top-end, high-end talent now, are very young, and we're seeing them peak through those teenage years into the mid-20s, and then they, there starts the backslide after that where your stats drop off, your production dips a little bit, injuries come into play. So this is good news for the for the older vets to be able to find jobs, stick around for a couple more years, and have an impact. Uh, you know, if this was like, from your, from your perspective now as an older guy in the NFL, I assume this is like a dream come true. 
hundred percent. That's huge. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those deals where a team might back away or shy away from signing that guy because you know there's a possibility that you know you sign him to a two year deal, he only plays one, and then then you're then you're eating that cap space and dead money for the next year, and it's um, it's probably limited. You know, some guys who maybe had like maybe the, the ability to squeeze out a year or two, but never got that opportunity because teams didn't want to deal with that. Now this gives everybody an opportunity where if you want to play one or two more years, and it's like okay, cool, like. After one, ha, my body doesn't feel great. It's like it's it's nothing to the team. It's nothing to the player. It's just a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and then teams were trying to uh, work deals with vets where they had to do incentive-laden bonuses, which didn't count against the cap right away. But if you hit, let's say, 25 goals, that might charge you with a cap overage bonus that would come hit in the offseason and affect your cap for next year. So it takes away just a lot of that headache work and just makes it nice and easy, simple, and clean. Another one they put in here, and this was simply just a, hey, here's a little bone to the players. Uh, clubs will make available to players two game-worn jerseys for free per season. Now, as a non-professional athlete, uh, before talking to Pat, I did not know this was a thing that, like, you guys, if you do, like, jersey swaps after the game, or what, what not, those jerseys you, you got hanging up on the back of the wall, you got to pay for those, and they are not cheap. You're not getting a discount on those. Sometimes you're getting charged, like, 500 300 bucks. per. Yeah, at least. So that was yeah, kind of a, just it's, nice. It's usually 300 per. And yeah, I mean, that's huge that the NHL isn't doing that. I mean, guys are going to want to exchange more jerseys than, than two, but it's still, it saves you 600 bucks, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it allows you that opportunity to have that, which is, which is nice for them. Yeah. And then they said, uh, this, this rule is good as long as they're not for commercial use, they're for personal or charitable use. I assume most of the time when it's a charitable case, the team would kind of, relax and kind of give you a break there but maybe not i don't know so this is good news you know maybe these guys can take this as an opportunity to use some of these jerseys auction them off and raise some money for whatever the cause may be whether it be uh social injustice uh covid relief and funding for vaccines god knows we need that so whatever it may be this is all good stuff here um the big one the playoff cash pool for the playoffs increased from 16 million to 32 million so Players' contracts ends at the regular season. You know this. It's the same way it is in football. You just get bonuses from this pool for playoff games. The further you go, the more money you get. So this is massive. In a traditional season, you're talking uh, anywhere from 12 to 16 million, I think it was. Now they're getting double. So I think uh, that's an extra. If you make it to the cup finals, I think it's an extra like 250,000 per game in your pocket. I mean, that is huge. That is absolutely huge. You know, I, I think. Baseball and hockey do. There's pretty similar where they have a pool and it gets kind of evenly distributed. I, the NFL just has set numbers where it's like, hey, if you're in the you know wild card round, both teams make this. If you're in the divisional, both teams make this. If you're in the championship rounds, both teams make this. And then Super Bowl winner gets this and loser gets this, right? But I think you know NHL and baseball do it, you know, from a pool and it's just a you know an even payout. And, and what's cool about it, what I think is really cool, is and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know it's like this in baseball, and I think hockey, it's the same way. You get to choose who gets those payouts as well. So I don't know if it's the numbers, and, I, and like you can also choose, like, hey, you really like, like your your players all get together. You really like the equipment guys. They get the pool money too. Really? I didn't know this. Cool. I had no idea. Yeah, so I don't know if hockey does it that way. I know baseball does it that way. Um, I think that's interesting. We should probably try and figure out at some point but um if that is the case i think that's pretty cool pretty cool deal that they do it that way 
Yeah, I would assume so. Hockey guys, traditionally pretty good guys. I'm sure they take care of the equipment managers, the, the backbone of the team. Obviously, everyone knows that. Um, but all right, that was just some stuff we dug through. And like you said, uh, it felt like everything that stood out to us when we looked through this stuff was really a, a coup for the players. The owners obviously get the game back and they get the guys back on the ice. But it seems like they really just everyone kind of read the room and they said, all right, let's just bend over backwards. Let's make this work and let's get back on the ice because what's good for business is good for everybody. If this gets the league going again, they get back on TV. They got a TV deal coming up in a year or two. That's more money in everybody's pocket. Uh, you got to love it. You got to love it. No labor, no nasty labor fights like they had in baseball. No leaking to the media. No, this side said that this side, uh, he said, she said none of that crap. So good on the guys, good on the league for getting this done. And uh, in the coming weeks, we'll look forward more into breaking down the actual matchups and the on ice play. This was just some stuff we, we noticed that we really wanted to talk about because we thought it was good. It's good stuff all around. I like it. One thing I got to bring up, just because we're Pittsburgh guys. Oh, do I like the first two lines of forwards for the Pittsburgh Penguins moving forward through this playoffs? Saw it yesterday on ice. It looked like you got Crosby, Gensel, Sheary on line one, Malkin, Zucker, and Rust on line two. Let's effing go. Here we go. That's as talented as a forward group as they've had in years going to the playoffs since the the back-to-back runs there. So you got to be excited if you're a Penguins fan, if you're a Canadiens fan, if you're a Caps fan, if you're a Flyers fan, probably pisses you off a little bit. But hey, you guys you guys got some quality lineups too. Oh, the other thing, one more thing we didn't talk about was the they they put a list of what teams are staying in what hotels. And the one hotel is like basically the Metropolitan Division. It's got the Flyers, the Bruins, or it's got the Flyers, uh, Capitals and Penguins, and then it takes the best of the Atlantic and the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Bruins in one hotel, and it's like I'm just waiting for a scrap to break out in the bar, at the buffet, something. Just you know, those teams do not like each other. Putting them in a hotel was wild to me, but hey, they did it, and it would be awesome to to get some behind the scenes footage or hear some clips come out of those guys just getting into it down there in the uh, in the hotel lobby. But we hope everyone stays safe. Because we want to see these guys back on the ice and we want to see some entertaining hockey. Uh, like I said, we'll get into more of the matchups coming in the next two weeks here before the guys hit the ice. Uh, and we'll talk some bets too. Uh, shout out to FanDuel. Get your bets in there. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for rocking with us. As always, follow us along on Twitter at That's Hockey Talk. Tell your friends about the podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, follow that man right there at AQ Shipley on Twitter. Uh, appreciate you. Hold on. Appreciate Hold you, on. buddy. Hold on. Hey, who's, who's coming in there in the background? Hey, hold on. I got a question for you. Talk to me. Meatball subs. Worst sub in the history of subs? Hey, you can't, you can't talk and barking down the wrong tree, brother. Scoop out the bread. Meatball fits perfectly. One of my favorite subs. Being a Pittsburgh guy, you disappoint yeah, me. Go. You disgust me. Idiot. You fucking disgrace me. Calling yourself a yinzer. You are disgusting. Go back, go back to West Virginia where you eat ham and cheese sandwiches, you <laughs> loser. No, you're fucking wrong. You know you're wrong. It's disgusting. It has nothing to do with where I'm from. It's my mouth and my body understanding a good sandwich and knowing a bad sandwich. You obviously don't have the same ability. Meatball subs are the asshole of the sandwich community. Cheers. That's hockey talk.